This is an ABC podcast. You know what we haven't had an update on for a while, Norman? What's that? The Dr. Norman Swan Omicronometer of Panic, where you were going to give us on a scale of one to brown pants how scared you were feeling about Omicron specifically and the pandemic more broadly. Yes. So we we got we did get to bicycle clips pretty close to bicycle clips um, you know before Christmas and just after and um, so I, look I've taken off the brown pants. Have you put something else back on? That's for others. <laughs> you know, this is the advantage in um, in podcasting. Podcasting is that you've got no idea what I'm wearing beneath the desk. <laughs> Maybe we should keep it that way. But it's not brown pants. And it's not a kilt. All right, all right. Uh, enough about your what are you wearing, baby, and more about how worried you're feeling about this pandemic. Look, I think we are going into a lull. I think cases are going to go down, but there's plenty of Omicron around, as West Australians know only too well. And uh, there's always the threat of a new variant. So vigilance is important, and therefore I am walking, still walking around reasonably agitated around the pool rather than lying down to the pina colada. And therefore we are still making CoronaCast, a podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and pants wearer Dr. Norman Swan. What's the date, Doctor? Oh, good point. You know, what is the date? It's the 23rd of February, 2022. And Norman, restrictions are starting to ease in a lot of parts of Australia. We started welcoming international visitors back this week. We're seeing mask mandates lifting in places like Victoria, which has been sort of stronger on a lot of the, the, the public health mandates up until now. Queensland scrapping density limits. New South Wales is easing restrictions over the next week or two as well. And we're seeing restrictions easing internationally too. So are we ever going to see restrictions come back or is this part of this shift to the new normal? Well, that's the key. And if you look, for example, at Denmark, they they let it rip a few weeks ago and it really didn't look very pretty at all in Denmark in terms of deaths going up and the epidemic curve really escalated. So it wasn't a great idea in Denmark. Britain has just announced the other day, uh, Boris Johnson just announced the other day, removing um, a lot of the legal restrictions on isolation. They're going to be stopping contact tracing. Their main line of defence is antivirals, are going to be antivirals and vaccines. They're removing free testing from the 1st of April, apart from vulnerable groups. And uh, even his, his advisors, like Professor Patrick Vallance, are more cautious. They're just a little bit nervous that things may be going too fast. There are other people concerned that you might see inequities exacerbated by this. And remember, Britain is not the country to follow. They've had a really bad pandemic. Remember, about 45,000 people died for six months of 2020, thereabouts, in the search for herd immunity. And only 6% six of the community got immunity during that period. So they're not necessarily the ones to follow. And the other thing that they're doing is downscaling statistical collection. So you actually won't know what's going on. And the question is whether other countries like us will follow that more extreme view of it. So like you say, Norman, UK isn't necessarily who we want to be modelling ourselves after. So let's talk about what is happening here and what should happen here in the next sort of few months or year. Well, the states are, the states apart from Western Australia are starting to scrap some of the rules. 
about QR codes, about masks, mandatory masks, about density restrictions and so on, as they see the peak passing and uh, the lull, if you like, beginning, although there is certainly coronavirus around. Now, we're we're different from the UK because we've got a much higher level of immunisation, although we might come back to this in a future coronacast. Uh, it seems to be slower in 5 to 11-year-olds than in other age groups. We're still not that fast with boosters, so there's still a degree of vulnerability in the community. And I don't think any jurisdiction in Australia is saying that these things are gone forever. And it would be very silly to think that they've gone forever because we just don't know what's around the corner. The good news may be that we've got a long lull here, but that may not be the case. We've just got to be careful and be prepared to put these measures back and put them back pretty quickly so that we can control a new outbreak. On one hand, you could read that as being quite bleak, that these restrictions could come back sort of at any moment. But on the other hand, uh, silver linings, Taylor, over here. It's, it's pretty cool to, to know that we have public health tools that we know work and that we know we can do. And the idea that we can bring them back if we need to sort of is a tribute to how agile we can be. Yeah, and there's been uh, there's at least one study recently showing how effective mask wearing actually is uh, in slowing down the spread of the spread of the virus. So it, going back to masks is a pretty small ask of the community compared to lockdown. And nobody's talking about going back to lockdown. It's just simply slowing things down while we get our act together. The important thing here is going to be that we maintain statistics, we mean, maintain reporting of cases, so we roughly know what's going on and that there is a degree of genomics being done so we understand what's happening with the virus. And coming back to what you said before about the UK, uh, another ABC podcast, ABC News Daily, actually had former director of the World Health Organization, Anthony Costello, talking about Boris Johnson and uh, the UK experience of the pandemic and basically why nations like Australia shouldn't follow in its footsteps. And of course, you can find ABC News Daily on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk a bit about some research, Norman, because that's something that we love to do is sort of going back to the source of where the science is being done. And a big group of people in Australia, at least, who have perhaps been a little more hesitant than others about getting vaccinated is pregnant people. And that makes sense, right? Like you, you're harbouring a life, you want to do the best you can by your bub. And so there were people who were maybe concerned that vaccination during pregnancy wasn't safe, but even more research is coming out saying it is. Yeah, and um, you do not want to get COVID when you're pregnant. It's just bad outcomes for the woman uh, and bad outcomes for the, for the pregnancy. And this is a study from Israel, 24,000 newborns, 50-50 roughly, male-female, and about 17,000 were exposed to the vaccine in the first and second trimesters, in other words, the first six months of pregnancy. Exposed meaning mum was vaccinated while she was pregnant. One was vaccinated, yeah. So basically there's no difference between unexposed babies during pregnancy and exposed babies during pregnancy. There were the same rates of birth weight, of chances of dying, hospitalisation after birth, low birth weight, congenital abnormalities, in other words, birth abnormalities. In other words, no adverse influence at all of the vaccine. So it's great news. And then some more research. We've talked a lot about long COVID. There's a lot of people who are really worried about getting it. There are people who are living with it and they would love to know more about why. And there's a paper that basically has identified four key risk factors for someone going on to develop these prolonged symptoms. That's right. And these risk factors could help in the treatment of this condition. So they're looking at people who get symptoms after they've had the infection. They looked at 300 people. And this was very sophisticated research what they called multi-omics, where they were doing lots of sequencing of 
of proteins that you're producing, the genetics behind your metabolism and your immune system. And essentially, they came up with what they call four endotypes, in other words, ways that your immune system responded. But rather than going into that, some of the key variables are really interesting. So type 2 diabetes, important in terms of longer-term effects. Viral loads, how much virus that you produce seems to be related to your risk of anosmia. In other words, smell and taste problems seems, and according to this study, albeit not a huge number of people, seem to be related to your viral load. And then what they found, which I found was really interesting, was reactivation of the Epstein-Barr virus. That freaked me out because I've had glandular fever and I do not want to have it again. No, that's right. And... This is a virus that can ling- that can linger in your body and be reactivated, and it seems that COVID-19 may reactivate Epstein-Barr virus in some people. And that's probably related to the genetics of their immune system as much as anything else, because, as you say, a lot of people have had Epstein-Barr virus and don't know it. And that seems to be correlated with fatigue. So if you've got fatigue at two or three months, there's a relationship with the Epstein-Barr virus. And then the other thing they found was a relationship with what are called autoantibodies. So this is your immune system reacting against your own body, this extended period of symptomatology, were were similar to the autoantibodies of lupus, systemic lupus erythematosus, which is a multi-system autoimmune disease. But what they found, because they were following these people through deliberately, actually these people had these autoantibodies before they were infected with COVID-19. Now, the fascinating thing here was they may or may not have ever developed SLE, and they didn't seem to have developed SLE, lupus, in this study. SLE? Systemic lupus erythematosus, in other words, what people call lupus, this autoimmune disease. But they had the antibodies there beforehand. So there are Almost certainly some people who walk around in the world who've got these autoantibodies who never develop lupus, some people will develop lupus later in life, but these autoantibodies seem to be related to whether or not you get symptoms in an extended period. And so there are people who bring their own genetics, their own genetic profiles to the COVID experience, which then determine in many situations whether or not they get symptoms in the long term if this study is right. So what do you, if you're one of these people that has one of these risk factors, is there anything you can do to mitigate your risk? And that's what they discuss in the paper is that they, um, it's, it's more for doctors is that when you've got somebody who's got these symptoms, you might actually want to find out what so-called endotype they've got and there may well be medications that you could intervene with. For example, if you've got antibodies, there are treatments for SLE you, you know, and other interventions that you can make in terms of the immune system, which would be more specific to help relieve these longer-term symptoms. This is a preliminary study, but it's re- turned up some really interesting findings. Yeah, wow. Well, Norman, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. Of course, folks listening, if you've got questions or comments, you can ask them post them at abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you on Friday. See you then.